legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is Paul Levy, who joins us to discuss his book, Watiko, Healing the Mind Virus That Plagues Our World. In its Native American meaning, Watiko is an evil cannibalistic spirit that can take over people's minds, leading to selfishness, greed and consumption as an end in itself, destructively turning our intrinsic creative genius against us. Revealing the presence of Watiko behind every form of destruction our species is carrying out, both individual and collective, Levy shows how this mind virus is so embedded in our psyche that it is almost undetectable and it is our blindness to it that gives Watiko its power. However, by recognizing this mind parasite, we can break free from its hold and realize the vast creative powers of the human mind. Levy explores how artists, philosophers and spiritual traditions across the ages have been creatively symbolizing this psychic pathogen so as to help us see it and heal it. He explores how the projection of the shadow self, scapegoating, is the underlying psychological mechanism fueling Watiko, and examines Watiko in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, showing that we can reframe this event to receive the lessons and opportunities embedded in it. Revealing how the power of imagination can cure Watiko, Levy underscores how important it is for each of us to bring forth the creative spirit within us, which helps shed the light of consciousness on Watiko, taking away its power over us, while simultaneously empowering ourselves. Hello and welcome, Paul, and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Yeah, hi. I'm so happy to be here with you, Greg. Thank you. No, thank you, Paul. Uh, today we're going to be discussing your latest book. It's been out for a little while, but it's entitled Watiko, Healing the Mind Virus That Plagues Our World. Uh, before we jump into that, just give listeners a brief summary of your background and work in general. Sure. Well, my background is, is kind of unique in that um, in 1981, I had a life-transforming spiritual awakening that was based on just being an incredible suffering and having gone through this incredible psychological trauma. And I went so deeply into my own mind that I wound up having this spiritual awakening. And immediately I got thrown in mental hospitals and misdiagnosed as having a chemical imbalance and supposedly being, you know, bipolar. And, and I knew it, it, it could not have been made more clear to me that I was awakening. So I, I never for a second did I buy into, um, you know, the psych, the psychiatric diagnosis. And that really saved my life. Um, in the sense that I followed what I knew to be true based on my own experience. Because what I was basically experiencing was that I was realizing, oh, my God, we're having a collective dream. And um, so it took me, I don't know, over 10 years, maybe 12 years 
um, at, at, it was at, sort of after the last hospitalization was 82. So between 81 and 82, I got thrown in hospitals maybe, I don't know, four or five times and always diagnosed. And then it took me a number of years sort of to um, integrate what I was realizing uh, about myself, about the nature of the world and about the experiences that I was having because I began having completely out of the ordinary experiences that were supposedly impossible to be having in this realm. And um, but at a certain point, maybe in 94, I realized, oh, wow, I've integrated enough. You know, I'm not enlightened or anything like that. I don't even know what that means. But I began to have the realization that, okay, I've assimilated what I've gone through enough that I have some sort of a gift or something to offer other people that was based on the ordeal that I just passed through. And so that's when I began teaching. And, um, and you know, what I'm teaching is basically that this is a collectively shared dream, but I'm also, and that we can wake up in the dream once we actually recognize that. But I'm also pointing out, I'm flooding light on the nature of evil um, because that, um, you know, can be an incredible obstacle to us awakening. But I'm pointing out that this evil, what indigenous people call Watiko, it's like a mind virus encoded within it. It's actually helping us to awaken. So that's in essence how I came across my work. Now, for people who are completely new to the concept of Watiko, which I believe is a Native American interpretation of this, this, this force or, you know, the entity, whatever it happens to be, I have set out some further um, explanation in my recorded introduction. So if people skip that, please go back and listen indeed to either of our previous two interviews. I think what you mentioned there about collective dream is very important because in all my years of exploring the nature of reality and nature of consciousness, this come up again and again. And my way of looking at it is for those who say, well, it's a collective dream, therefore it doesn't really matter when we die, we'll wake up and none of this really have any consequence. But my way, my way of thinking was that when I was young and the adults would tell me that dreams weren't real, quote unquote, well, I would say, well, I had an experience and it was real enough. So the way I approach my own dream reality, dreamscape, whatever they are, dream sequences, is the same way that I look at, at life and that even if we are in a collective dream now, things happen in dreams and they have consequences within that dream. And even if we somehow emerge from it at some point and see it for that, nevertheless, we're still acting and interacting within whatever this reality is, you know, the, the three-dimensional five-sense reality. So it it is um, incumbent upon us to do that consciously and not just say, well, none of it really matters. Yeah, no, that I, I just appreciate what you were saying, Greg, because what I don't mean when I say this is a dream is that, oh, it's an illusion in the sense that it doesn't mean anything and it's not important. No, I'm actually saying that, you know, basically in the same way that at night we we create a dream or or I should say our unconscious creates a dream. And when we're in the experience of the dream, we subjectively experience it as if it's actually real. And um and we have we can, you know, go through a day or or a whole lifetime in that one dream. And um I'm so I'm basically saying that 
you know, when all of this is based on quantum physics, um, the revelations emerging from quantum physics, that there's no objective world out there that we collectively are dreaming up moment by moment our experience of ourselves and our experience of the world. That, in other words, we have this incredible creative power. And think about a dream. Yeah, what a night dream is, it's a manifestation of our creative agency. I mean, we're creating worlds in the dream. That's us. There's no one else doing that, you know, and it's not the ego self. It's not if we're identified with like, you know, this, this egoic skin encapsulated, this reference point. No, that's not the creator of the dream. It's a deeper part of us. And that connects to the creative source. And, you know, so that's what I'm pointing at when I say that, yeah, we're having a collectively shared dream. And when enough of us have that recognition, we can get in sync with each other in phase with each other and we can in a real way we can change the dream we're having and that's evolutionary that's to consciously participate in our own evolution that's what's being revealed to us by what's playing out in the world and if we don't recognize it we're going to continue to to just kill ourselves but you know this is the the this is the gift that's encoded in the fabric of the waking dream that's freely being offered to us and that's, in essence, what my work is about. Well, there's some insight to be had here from the world of uh, lucid dreaming uh, in the sense that the idea for most people, they have some kind of perhaps role in the, the, the dreams of their uh, unconscious, subconscious. Uh, they, do, they don't really appreciate that. They think it's just something that's happening to them. And a lot of people actually go through waking life, if we can call it that, in the same way. But if we can imagine that just as we can have some degree of personal agency in the nighttime dream world, well, we have more personal agency than we believe, I think, in the, the dream that we're all sharing right here, you know, the, the one that you or I are in right now. People think, oh, terrible things can happen in nightmares. You know, terrible things can happen in this reality too. People say, oh, this is like something from a nightmare. At the same time, people can do immensely heroic and amazing and incredible things in their dreams and they wake up and why can't I be like that well I think well just think oh and ponder on that because you have more personal agency in this reality than you imagine so I, I just think that when you take the insights of lucid dreaming and think about how that applies to the dream world and how if you if we are then sharing a collective dream well what does that mean for the reality that we're all forming around us here yeah, what you're saying is so, that's exactly it, Greg, because one way that I try to get across, um, you know, what, what I'm, what I've had this realization of to whatever degree I have is just in your imagination, just imagine you're in a dream and imagine that you hold a perspective in the dream, whatever the perspective is. Well, the dream is nothing other than your own projection. It's, it's a reflection of your mind so whatever perspective you're holding the dream instantaneously will shapeshift and reflect back that viewpoint that you're holding in such a way that you then experience it as oh I have all the evidence that I need to to show me that what I'm seeing objectively exists because the dream is just reflecting back your viewpoint. So then you become even more entrenched in your viewpoint. And the more entrenched you become in the viewpoint within the dream, the more the dream just will reflect back your viewpoint, offering you, confirming to you the, the objective truth of your viewpoint. 
ad infinitum. It's a feedback loop whose origin is your own mind. And the idea is we've hypnotized ourselves by our creative genius for calling forth reality. And, and that's our situation 24-7 in the waking dream. What I just described in a night dream, that's exactly what's at work in the waking dream. We actually have, in a way, entranced ourselves by our own proclivity to invoke reality in such a way that we've put ourselves to sleep. And then we experience that we, oh, I don't have any creative agency. Oh, this is just happening to me. I'm helpless. I'm just a victim. And the more we see the world in that way, being that the world is a dream, the more the world will reflect back and give us all the evidence confirming our viewpoint. This insight, this is the fundamental insight that will snap us out of of the spell of, of Watiko, of the mind virus. Well, if we look at the, the stories that mankind, that humankind has told itself since recorded history, you know, since as far back as we can see, you know, to... Uh, periods in prehistory beyond which we can't really say anything. We have the common story, the idea of a lost golden age of the fall. You know, this is encapsulated in the biblical story of the Garden of Eden, that, that there was something that we, we took a wrong turn, as it were, at some point. You even see this in the story of Atlantis, mankind somehow sinning against the world, against creation, against reality in some way. And Versions of this have persisted right throughout recorded history, and we see our own modern versions of it now. And many, this is such a popular trope now. Basically, you know, the question is: there something wrong with us? Are we really so uniquely amongst life forms on the earth, somehow unfit or unable to live in harmony with the rest of uh, the planet? But that's a question that can be kind of uh, how can I put it? Like um, self-fulfilling prophecy or a question or somehow is the answer encoded in it and certainly today there's a lot of talk about you know humanity being a cancer on the planet when you look at the converging crises around us and we can say that but i I fundamentally push back against that idea so quite what the 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 truth in in any or all of what i've just said is that we could draw out i don't know i guess we're finding that out but it's very very common these days when you talk to you know, regular people in all walks of life. And you look at um, our stories, modern stories reflected back to us now in the media and popular culture. It's just like we've taken a wrong turn. We're damned and the earth would be better without us. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm very familiar with that. The idea, you know, there are all these theories about how did, you know, how did the fall of humanity happen? What was it like these, these negative ETs or was there some form of collective trauma and and of course that would be interesting to find out but what's actually a lot more important is is the realization that we are participating in if you call it like the you know the having a fall the fall of humanity we are participating and creating in that each and every moment to the extent we're asleep okay so there is no external agency that's done something to us but that being said yeah we as a species we're clearly a species in trauma we have collective ptsd and the idea being is that you know if because i i so know about trauma because i've been you know for years i've been you know telling people that oh my god i'm completely in trauma over what 
played out, you know, the whole thing that catalyzed my awakening. And the thing which is interesting about trauma is that encoded in the pathology of trauma is the solution. And what I mean is that the compulsion to repeat the trauma, that is the actual symptomology and pathology of trauma, um, the compulsion to repeat the trauma encoded, we're actually unconsciously trying to re-experience something. And, um, but if we don't have the recognition, if we don't bring awareness, you know, and actually pass through the experience of where our energy got traumatized and got frozen and literally got imprisoned, if we don't actually go through that with consciousness, then we're fated to just continually enact the compulsion to repeat our trauma ad infinitum. And, and in a way, that's what, what I'm describing is what our species is acting out on the world stage. But what I'm pointing out, and you so, and one other way of saying this is that encoded in Watiko, in the mind virus, is its own medicine. It's this revelation. It's, it's showing us something about our nature and about this enormous, unimaginable creative power that each and every one of us have. But to the extent we were not conscious of it, then it gets outsourced. Then it gets projected outside. And of course, you know, whether it's the powers of the state or external agencies, they're more than happy to pick up our own creative power and turn it against us. And that's exactly what's happening. So what I'm pointing out is that the real solution to the myriad crises that are converging on us, self-created crises for the most part, um, the solution for that is to, you know, for, for us to discover, you know, you could say who we are, but that's such a cliche to us, for us to discover our nature as being creative beings, because the more that any one person taps into their nature, which is by its nature creative, they then embody and express themselves more creatively. And the more creatively they express themselves, the more they deepen their realization of their nature. It's a positive feedback loop that creates light upon light. And when people who are plugged into that actually connect with each other, then all bets are off. That's where we can actually, you know, really step in to this waking dream in a way where we can transform it. The interview that we did in May 2020, it was, was entitled uh, Coronavirus Crisis Transformation Through Trauma. And what you seem to be articulating just now is the difference between the experience of, of something trauma to traumatic for you to, to be transformative, to, you know, to move you from one state to another to advance the individual or the collective as opposed to unconsciously repeating trauma uh, as uh, looking for some kind of solution you know within the problem and as you characterized Watiko does have its the, the disease has its own medicine within it but you'll see this I guess in in psychotherapy when someone goes for help and they are perhaps able to see uh, that they have been repeating trauma in an effort to do something who knows quite what, usually unconsciously, but there's a difference between, you know, a rat chasing its tail and one finding its way out of a maze, if I could put it like that. Yeah, because what happens is that, you know, when what you're describing, this is a collective situation, but it's also individual situation. We as individuals, we are each in a way reflections or iterations of the greater fractal of the body politic. So, 
to the extent that we're able to sort of unlock that energy that's just recirculating back in the black hole of trauma, that energy becomes available to us for creativity, for for love, for compassion. And, um, you know, that's what I'm pointing at, that each of us are actually plugged in to the creative source. We aren't separate from that creative source. But we're like the, the sorcerer's apprentice, apprentices who have entranced ourselves by our own enormous power in a way that's killing us. And, you know, it's all just different ways of trying to articulate, like, I'm pointing at something, you know, and it's really the solution to what, to what's, you know, to the malady that, that's ailing us. And simply put, it has to do with tapping in to, you know, the creative source, like who we are, are these creative beings. We are literally moment by moment creating our experience. And, um, and, you know, in, in some of my books, cause I have this new book on Watiko coming out. I'm not sure if it's in that one or the one that just came out, you know, a few months ago, but I point out that people who really, um, you know, kind of study creativity and, stuff like the incarnation of God, you know, of Christ, of the second coming, they make a connection. They say, oh, if we just aren't in touch with our creativity and we're just passively in this waiting stance for the second coming, then we're only going to see Christ in his, in the face of his being crucified and we'll never be able to take ourselves off the cross. But if we connect with our you know, own creativity with the creative spirit within us, then we are literally through that very act of being creative, we are participating in the incarnation of the second coming, that we become the instrument through which, you know, the incarnation of the self, to put it in psychological terms, incarnates into the world through us via our actually taking our creativity online. Our first interview together was based uh, on your book, uh, Watiko, Breaking the Curse of Evil. By the way, listeners will find links to the earlier interviews on the interview page for this one, so they can just click straight through. And of course, evil is a provocative word to use in the modern era. It's seen to smack of something of the supernatural, uh, you know, the religious, of uh, superstition, of the past. And the very idea of the existence of evil for many people seems, again, an absurd relic of centuries gone by. Yes, good things happen to bad people and bad people do terrible things. Uh, but the idea of evil, really, I mean, you know, what, what, what is that even? It's the spirit world. It's the devils. You know, it's, it's hobgoblins. It's all that, that nonsense. However, my feeling about it is, and I've, I've done a number of talks looking at this, is that there's clearly some kind of force, some kind of entity. There's something, and I, I maybe you can, from what you've said so far, I'd be interested to hear your take on this. It, if it is not apart from us somehow, then it gives that feeling, that impression. There seems to be some kind of anti-human force in the cosmos. It, again, this is something that's been documented throughout human history. It's where the, the name Watiko comes from. So what, what would you, how would you characterize your understanding of the idea of there being something truly external to us? Um, is that even possible? Yeah. 
No, I, I appreciate the question. And I just want to point out, I'm not any, you know, sort of theology professor or like metaphysician or anything like that. I'm, I like to think of myself, you know, I'm kind of an empiricist and then I just deal with my own experience. Um, and, um, and I know that evil is such a charged word and it has all these connota connotations and associations. And, you know, and so I guess one thing I want to start off my answer by saying is that, um, you know, people can get really turned off by the idea of the devil or Satan or all these, you know, different sort of spiritual traditions will personify as if it's this real energy, this evil force. And I would point out, I would say, well, they're actually speaking in the language of dreams, which which is symbolic, that these figures of Satan or, you know, whoever you would call it, they're symbols of trying to epitomize this impersonal force that we all experience. Because I'm talking about evil from the point of view of psychological evil, that there is a factor in the human psyche that is disintegrating, that, that instead of creating, sort of helping us to have the realization of our wholeness, that fractures us and disintegrates us into all these different parts. And that same force, think about it like an iteration of a fractal, is playing out in the world. There is an, a force that we can call evil. Because if we can't talk about evil, here it is. It's like a major player on the world stage playing out in front of our face, all over the place, on the global stage. But we're not allowed to talk about it. That's what I, that would be a manifestation of evil because if we can't find the words for what we're dealing with, well, then we have no way of actually, you know, trying to come to terms with it. Okay. So the fact is, is that what I'm pointing out by talking about this evil, this psychological evil is that the origin of it is in the human psyche, is in the collective unconscious and so I'm not making claims that it's, you know, this metaphysical this or anything like that. I'm just saying that any of us, if we're honest, you know, if we go into our own mind and go into our own process, we're going to encounter a force that's seemingly opposed to us expressing ourselves, being creative, stepping into our light, stepping into who we are. That's what I'm pointing at. And to the extent we turn a blind eye towards that, we're unwittingly feeding it. Because like I point out in my work, the Watiko mind virus, it's a form of being blind. Okay, so when we turn a blind eye towards this, whatever you call it, evil seeming force within our being, we then are unwittingly feeding it. For example, I know people, very good people, very intelligent, open-hearted, spiritual people who, oh, I don't want to talk about Watiko. I don't want to talk about evil because to talk about it is to be giving it power. Well, on one hand, there's truth to that. If we become fascinated by it, yeah, then we're investing it with this reality that it doesn't deserve, you know. But if we turn a blind eye and are avoiding actually coming to terms with it, 
in our avoiding and being like an ostrich and putting our head in the sand, we are actually avoiding being in relationship with a part of ourselves. So then we're unwittingly feeding evil by turning a blind eye. I'm pointing out that instead of being overly fascinated by it, which feeds it evil, or instead of just being in avoidance of it, which feeds evil, I'm talking about actually seeing it, how it plays out in the non-local field, through the external world, and through our inner reactions of our unconscious mind. And then when you see it as a sovereign agent, you can choose, okay, now I see you, now I get to choose where I place my attention, and I want to place my attention on creating the world I want to live in. That point of view then dispels Watiko, and that's what I'm talking about. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com.